Hey everyone, this is Arnold Bjorn with Warm Welcome, where we meet the makers behind the most beloved restaurants. Hope you are safe, healthy, and happy. I myself just got back to New York from Korea,、um, and it's 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 wildly different in terms of、uh, a lot of things. And so hopefully, might dedicate an off-menu episode towards my experience in Seoul and my experience here in New York. Um, what it's like in both places, dining out,、um, what the economy is like, just overall feeling and vibe, and 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 and, and the it's just it's so different.、Um, today on the episode, we are sitting down with Helen, and Helen is the chef owner of Saigon Social here in New York City, located on the Lower East Side.、Uh, she has been working on. This restaurant. This is her first restaurant that she's opening for definitely well over a year.、Uh, before this, she was working for Danielle, and even before that,、uh, her career was a complete different career. She had a her own business in real estate back in Seattle, and、um, I'll let her share more about her journey with you soon. But、uh, I just want to say we we interviewed initially maybe in November, December of last year in 2019. And I was working on putting out the episode maybe in February or March because she had、uh, quite an experience, let's just say, with Con Ed, with gas and, and and getting it back on. And she had delayed her opening date, and I finally came with a new opening date. I believe it was March 13, 14, one of one of the one of those days in mid March, and. I, and it overlapped actually with when New York went on pause. So it's it's a very unfortunate、uh, circumstance. But I I just wanted to make sure、um, I gave Helen the platform and and this podcast for the next really thirty minutes to talk about what she's been through、um, throughout this process. And so as with all episodes, we'll we'll take you a little bit, we'll rewind a little bit and and. Take you back because、um, her landing or ending up in New York was a, a byproduct of her actually wanting to、um, go to culinary school. Well, New York was supposed to be a semi sabbatical for me.、Um, I have always wanted to attend culinary school. It's been on my bucket list for for as long as I could remember.、Um, but growing up with a single mom and a sister who's Ten years younger, she pretty much is like my baby. <laughs> so I, I wanted to make sure that she had finishes finished her、um, her college studies, graduated, and had job stability before I took off and and pursued my own things. And so right after she graduated and received a job offer, I told her that I was going to head over to New York and. Attend culinary school just for a couple of months, maybe like a year, and then I'll be back. And she's like, "Oh yeah, don't worry, it's okay. You know, go ahead and do your thing. I got it. I'll take care of mom."、And、then I moved. What was supposed to be a one-year commitment turned out into it, it. Just kind of took on a life of its own. I quickly fell in love with the industry, as crazy as it sounds. I mean, about a month into culinary school, I was offered、um, a position. Uh, a really well-known French restaurant, and the first week in the kitchen, I didn't, you know, I mean, I've, I've cooked, you know, large format meals for my churches and for the communities back home, and I've always hosted dinner parties. 
but I didn't really grasp what it was like working in a professional kitchen of that caliber, especially. I mean, I have a lot of friends in food and beverage back home in Seattle, and every now and then I would help them bus tables or just prep meals or whatever it was. But obviously, when you're doing it for fun versus uh, you know doing it as a profession, there's a lot more structure and commitment and hard work that comes along with it. And I just remember the first week, every day I came home crying, just second guessing myself, wondering, you know, like, this is not what I imagined working, you know, in a kitchen to be like, because it was very difficult, very physically demanding. And the pay is very low. (laughs) But every morning I would wake up so inspired and so motivated to do all to do it all over again. I mean, I would attend school from 7am to about noon. And then the minute class is over, I jump on the train from from downtown all the way up to the Upper East Side and would clock in at 12.30. And then from 12.30 to about 1am, I would work. So that was pretty much my life for the first year in New York. And on the weekends, I would, on Fridays, I would take the red eye from New York to Seattle. And then work, tend to my clients, do real estate. And then Sunday night would take the red eye from Seattle um, back to New York. And then I would land anywhere between 5 to 6.30 a.m. And then from the airport would just go straight back to school. (laughs) So it was pretty hectic. At times, incredibly stressful, but there was definitely a momentum, momentum that I had. and And I think that when you truly love and have a passion and really want something, you'll find a way to make it work. I would always try to frequent as many Vietnamese restaurants as, as, I, as I can because you, know, you, you crave for that home-cooked meal and just the essence of being able to dine out in similar environments like I did back home. I, there was a few restaurants that were recently opened at the, at the time, and they were modern Vietnamese restaurants that turned to be incredibly successful. And I just realized that, you know, there's definitely like a new wave, a resurgence of, of Vietnamese food, the Vietnamese culinary aspect of it, I think is being reintroduced. And I wanted to be a part of it. And although every restaurant that I frequented was really good and very special and very homey in, in, in their own way, I just felt like there was definitely uh, an element missing because, you know, every family cooks so differently. I think every every family has their different rendition of like, a, just for instance, like a chicken noodle soup or any kind of rice dish. I, and I felt like I, I wanted to be able to stay and contribute to my translation uh, of, of, the, of the dishes that I, I grew up eating and the dishes that I truly loved. And um, with that, I just realized, you know, if I'm going to stay here in New York, considering this is a career change much later in life, I don't have the time or really the capacity to just, or even the desire to climb the kitchen ladder or just commit myself, you know, another five to 10 years to working in a corporation, I really needed to be able to build something that would sustain and that would make sense for me in terms of like a financial investment as well as a personal investment. So I decided that I wanted to stay and open a restaurant (laughs) and be a part of the growing culinary community. So talk to me about the next steps you took, because I think that with some of the chefs I had on the podcast, too, they a lot of them actually uh, like yourself, they never really intended. What were the the next steps you took in, 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 in 
actualizing? How did you come up with like the name? And then how did you find like, how did you do the whole uh, finding the space and whatnot? Because this, you know, you're a first time restaurant owner. It was very difficult. Came into the process initially thinking, oh, you know, I have, you know, over a decade of real estate experience, looking for properties and negotiations shouldn't be that um, unfamiliar because I experience. And so I started online. I would, you know, look for commercial spaces in Long Island City because that's where I live. And, and what I realized is that there's Long Island City at the time was growing. It's, it's still growing. Um, but the dining options were not, there wasn't an abundance as it was in Manhattan. And I know that on the, on, on the days that I, I am at home and I want to order out or just to um, check out a restaurant, there isn't very many Vietnamese options. And so I decided that you know, Long Island, Long Island City is going to be the place that I want to basically set up. Well, I started looking at a lot of the properties and with, um, with Long Island City, uh, what, I, what I've learned is that many years ago, it was very industrial. So with the gentrification um, over the last five, 10 years or so, there's a lot of new buildings and with a lot of the new buildings come a lot of white boxes um, in terms of spaces. And so I would go in, fall in love with certain locations and then realize that this is going to take anywhere between 1.2 to 1.5 million to build out because there's no ventilation, there's no, there's nothing. So obviously it's something that didn't make sense and something that I couldn't afford. And then I think after about six months or so, I found a location that that really fit the needs and and that I, I truly fell in love with, started the negotiations. And then the first thing that they asked me was, do you have an existing business? And I said, no. And that posed as a really big challenge. I think prior to to finding that space, everywhere that I would look at or inquire, the very first question was, do you have an existing business? And my like my answer, you know, was no. I wanted to be very honest and transparent with them. Ninety nine percent of the time, they would respond. They would either shut their doors on me or just not even acknowledge me, um, even if I were to send a very detailed and very thoughtful proposal and you know three to five year business plan. They they just didn't. They, you know, like it's it's New York. They want to make sure that you have experience, and so. <clears throat> with this location in Long Island City, like we realize that you don't have this, you know, existing business, and you're a first-time operator, so this is going to po- pose as a very big challenge. So then I took a step back and started reaching out to a lot of my good friends that um, that have that are veterans in in the industry back um, on the West Coast, and I'd asked for advice, and then had asked if they would be interested in a partnership because although. You know, I, I I have business, I have experience as, you know, a small business owner, the whole restaurant industry or just being, you know, working in a restaurant versus owning and operating one are two completely different animals. And I know that I, there's just no way that I would be able to do it alone, that I would need, you know, the support structure of, you know, a, an experienced team. I started building a team, came back, you know, to the landlord, and then we continued the conversations. And then as we started um, having more and more contractors come in and bid on the space, I just realized that there's no way that I'd be able to commit to this because the cost would be too tremendous. And it would take me 10 years just to be able to recoup it. It didn't make any sense. It was depressing because it, it almost felt like a breakup in a sense where you invest 
much time and and and, and energy into just uh, materializing a certain thought and a dream, and then it's like, oh, okay, you know, it's it's not going to happen. And then, um, so I started considering other options. I'm like, well, you know, maybe I should consider Manhattan. Then for about a year, year and a half or so, I would just continue searching. And then one day I stumbled upon a listing, which happened to be a very old listing of um, a location in the Lower East Side, which uh, is where we are located now. And at the time I had... I was working with a broker who I had only seen maybe twice during the year that we were working together. And I had forwarded him the listing, but he wasn't able to provide any more information. I, every two, three days, I would, you know, take the train down, you know, over to the Lower East Side and just walk around the neighborhood just to get a better feel for, for the, the, the energy and the environment. And also to see if there's anyone that I could get a hold of to get, you know, just a, a tour. For about a month, there was nothing. And then one day I came and there was a for lease, my owner sign that popped up. I had asked him if I could set up a tour. And the minute I stepped in, I just felt, you know, like this, this was the place that I could really envision myself being in. And I, again, I fell in love with it. And I went back to my broker and I told him, I was like, look, you know, I found a place. I, I want to be very honest with you. This is something that I felt like I did on my own. And um, considering the circumstances, I really want to try to negotiate on my own and definitely want to compensate you for your time that you've spent with me over the last year. But um, I, I really want to try to just negotiate this and and take this lead with with my with the landlord on my own. So he's very understanding. And so from there, I I met with the landlord. We sat and we chatted. Um, really hit it off. And I went through um, my proposal and you know the package that I had created for him. And I was like, look, you know. Before we start this meeting, I just want to let you know that I don't have an existing business. I've never owned a restaurant, but I, you know, I am a very, I'm very dedicated and very committed and I'll do anything that it's going to take to, to build this restaurant. And, you know, he wanted a year worth of deposit. And I told him that's some, that's something that I can't do. And we were just kind of going back and forth. And then like, you know, the fact that we don't have, you know, it was basically the very first day that they had gotten off the contract with their previous um, real estate agent. And so they're essentially representing themselves. And so I sat down and I did the math for him and I was like, look, you know, you're going to be saving X amount on, on your end as well as on my end by not having a broker involved. So let's make something happen. Like, you know, like I know that you have a lot of concerns, but, you know, rather than, the 12 month deposit, maybe we can meet each other somewhere in the middle and renegotiate it so that it makes sense. Right. And, um, I don't know. He, he, you know, he took a chance on me. He said that he saw something that he really, he really admired. And it was like a very big gamble because the place has been vacant for three years and obviously he hasn't been making any money on it. Um, and so he was just like, I, I don't, I don't, you know, feel comfortable but there's something about you and your vision that I truly believe in. So I'm, I want to give you this opportunity so that you can prove to me that, you know, you are who, who you say you are and that you're not going to give up on this and just walk away and just be an operator that's going to be absent and that you'll be there. So from, from that day on, we signed the contract and he's like, you know, all you have to do is just, just give it a facelift and you know the appliances are there everything is there you can just move in 
So I was really excited. We, we got a team of architect and contractors in. And then about, I'd say a month into just, you know, getting the process started, we finally received a response from Con Edison because I, I was trying to turn the gas back on. Trying to turn the gas back on, um, trying to just uh, transfer all the utilities. And, you know, so they were able to update the, the, the electrical bill. But then when it came to gas, they're like, you know what? You don't have um, enough output for, for what you're trying to do, which I thought was very ridiculous because we actually eliminate and eliminated a lot of the appliances. So our output should be a lot substantially lower. Um, and so it took them about two months just to, to, to do some investigation. And they said what had essentially happened was two doors down um, used to be an office space and that turned into a, a restaurant. It was a fast restaurant. They did a complete build out. Um, but then when they had built, um, built out their kitchen, they were initially denied and said that, you know, there, there wasn't enough output. So I guess what they did was they had um, hired a second plumber who basically just uh, submitted their output for the appliances that they were using, but did not declare the ones for, for our restaurant as well as the apartment. So somehow they were able to get approved and get their services turned on. And then it became a deficiency on our end when it came around to us trying to turn the gas services on. <laughs> so from there, it was like an 11-month battle with Con Edison just to, you know, we, we basically had to, to bring in a new gas line. Um, and I, I can't begin to tell you how incredibly stressful it was because number one, dealing with a very new city, um, very new industry, you know, with very limited experience and just learning how to navigate and deal with, with Con Edison was just, um, was a nightmare. <laughs> it was a complete nightmare. And it just felt like I spent most of my days just trying to follow up and reaching someone that could just give me an update. It, even like, hey, you know, do you, um, you know, is there a timeline? It was just basically, hey, do you have my file? Do you, you know, is, is it inputted in the system? What are the steps that need, you know, that need to happen in order to, for us to rectify this? You know, how, how do I go about this? You know, and it was just a whole ordeal that, um, that was incredibly stressful. When, when I initially, you know, DM'd you on Instagram, I think it was like, I think it was like three or four in the morning. And I guess my, my, my thought process was like, you were one of the people I had come across and I really want to interview you. And I, I don't know, I guess I was up and I, I decided, oh, maybe I'll leave her, um, you know, a message. And I'm sure she'll get to me in the morning, four in the morning. I heard uh, back from you really quickly. And I remember like we had a pretty, I remember vividly we had a, we had a back and forth about like what you were going through at the time. And I think it was uh, with, with, with Con Ed and, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. I, I didn't know the, the thorough details as to what you were facing, but it's just a little, it's just asinine, right? I think you can do 10 podcasts on just Con Edison. And I think so. Yeah, I remember we, we <laughs> can definitely do like a mini series because like, it's, it's just crazy how that happened. And your, I think your real estate experience actually, and also being able to communicate directly with the landlord, I'm sure that was a, well, that was a really big asset, right? When you were closing the deal. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the the open line of communication and just keeping each other updated was very vital, very, very um, important because 
for one, I wanted to show him that, you know, I was trying. And for two, it was also an issue that that was un, like he didn't know. He was really upset about it as well, too, because it essentially screw us all over. He was incredibly supportive because he would be very proactive in in calling Connison on a, a daily and you know weekly basis or as needed basis. Whenever I called him, he was like, you know what? Let me try. And then he would email and he would yes, he would email, he would follow up and then he would call me and say, Look, I spoke to this person, this is what they said. You try and then you get back to me and you let me know what they said and then I'm gonna go back on you know and and follow up again. We were kind of tag teaming and then for weeks on end I would show up to the office, you know, just try to their headquarters, you know, and 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 just try to get a hold of somebody and they would just try to direct me to the corner. They're like, oh, there's this, there, you see the phone in the corner, just pick it up, you know, dial. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go there and you're not going to transfer me. And I just remember breaking down in their lobby multiple times. And I think it took me breaking down multiple times. And I don't know if it was whether they got tired of seeing me coming in every week. Sorry for me. But one day uh, a man walked by and he's like, what's going on? What, why is she so distraught? And I was like, it's because it's been nine months and we still don't have gas. And I, you know, like it's, it's a constant 34 degrees in there and I'm trying to build a restaurant and no one's giving me an answer. And I don't understand why it's so hard just to re- respond to a simple email or a phone call. And from that moment on, we were like that the person that we spoke to helped us escalate things and he would follow up and he's like, Hey, you know, this is what's going to happen. This is basically the timeline, the time frame. These are the people that you need to speak to. And I started feeling very excited and we were on track in terms of just the updates and the things that were supposed to be done. And then about a month in, we started getting hiccups again because like, oh, you know, this needs to go through the engineering department and this needs to get approved by this. And every time we needed to schedule an appointment, it would set us back a week or two. Fast forward 11 months of just battling Con Edison, we finally got the gas services turned on February 27th. And then we enjoyed it for about two weeks. We went full force and just, you know, just R&D, training staff, hiring people. I was just so excited that we we had heat because none of the heaters that I brought in as commercial as they were really sustained. And we were doing a lot of R&D on induction burners, cooking on induction burners and and making stock on induction burners, I, I you know, you can only imagine like how painful it is just trying to execute a full menu with a full staff on induction burners, all the while with five layers of clothing on freezing, you know. But yeah, so we were really happy. I felt like it was a, like a victory. <laughs> we try to push, you know, forward with a, a soft friends and family opening. COVID happened. <laughs> It was incredibly devastating, um, you know, just being able to enjoy two weeks of joy of just being able to just rejoice over, you know, being able to have gas and finally just the thought of, of, of opening a restaurant and then hiring all the staff and then having to rehire staff just to find the right team. And then being told that, you know, there's a potential that you're going to have to shut down 50%, maybe completely that there was just a whole lot of uncertainty and a lot, a lot of fear. And on the day that we were supposed to open, it was, it was the day that the mandate of the 50% occupancy took an effect. And I just didn't have a good feeling. I mean, there was a part of me that wanted to move forward and just have 
the people that we had invited come by just for a, a, a tasting. But then I woke up that morning feeling so incredibly discouraged and it just didn't feel right. I just felt like there was some, there was going to be a lot more that was going to be happening. So then I, I made the decision of just postponing our opening. And I think it was the, the very next day we learned that um, there was going to be a potential shutdown because there was a lot of different cities on the the West Coast that was already implementing it. And so we kind of trailed behind and I was like, this doesn't look good. I don't know what the future holds, but I know that I definitely can't hold on to a full staff and afford payroll with all these uncertainties. And definitely, you know, with us not being open there, I just no longer had a you know job security or even a job to offer the team that I had newly hired. So I think it was on that day I, I had called everyone to come in and we told them that we we're just going to do a deep clean and we're going to we're going to cook every, like as much things that we had already prepped for the two days of, of soft opening that we had planned. And what happened was I had them pack everything as much as they could to bring home for for themselves and their family, their roommates or whoever it was. As I told them, like, you know, we're going to close for a week and we're going to take it week by week. But just, you know, this basically is me telling you that. I don't have a job to offer you and, and I don't know what it's going, what, I, what I'm going to do, what the plans are. And I can only promise an update, you know, here's some food, here's some extra cash. Let us know if you need help with groceries or anything at all. We'll be there to help you, but I'm just really sorry, but I, I don't know what's going to happen. It was, it was very depressing. I didn't leave the restaurant that night. I didn't leave the restaurant for three nights. And I, I had my, um, my partners who flew in just to help out with, with, the, uh, with the opening as well as one of my best friends who was helping me train my team. I think the numbers started increasing in New York in terms of people infected, um, there was a lot of fear because there was a lot of flight bans. So everyone had families that they needed to get back to. So everyone flew home. For three days, I just kind of just sat there staring at the wall and at the dining room and just wondering, you know, what 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 I really got myself into. And I was just really overwhelmed with a lot of emotions, not knowing where to move forward from there. The days that I was there, I would start cooking, you know, whatever it is that we had left over just to keep myself calm and just to you know it was very comforting being in the kitchen even though I was didn't know what I was doing but we had some people come knock on the door and knock on the windows and were asking if we were open because they had some read some articles and and thought that we were this was going to be the week and I had to tell them no you know we, we don't know if we're ever going to open but if you're hungry I made this big pot of soup and you're, you're more than welcome to take some home and so what grew from like I'd say two to three people a day um, would be like 10 to 15 people. So then I started thinking, maybe I'm going to, maybe I'm going to open and just, you know, provide whatever it is that I'm cooking that day to see if, if nothing else happens, at least I can feed my neighbors upstairs, the apartments upstairs and the people in, in the community who, you know, need or want a meal. I just, one day I was like, okay, I'm going to commit to making one dish. I think it was, yeah, chicken noodle soup. Very simple. I decided that I was just going to post a post on Instagram because throughout our pop-up days in the last, you know, the two years that we did pop-ups, 95% of our business was from Instagram. It was a very small following, but they were very supportive. And so I thought, well, this is going to be a very long shot because everyone's going through their own challenges and 
figure out, you know, their travel plans and their work plans. And, you know, this might not be very lucrative at all. Like I might not have any kind of response, but I'm going to do it anyways, because I'm going to be here. So that very first day, uh, I sold out of the chicken pho. I think I made about 30 portions. The next day, I was like, wow, this, you know, this is giving me a little hope that, you know, even though there isn't any money to be made, but the fact that I still can continue doing what I love while just cooking for one person, if one person walks away feeling that, well, this is, you know, this meal has been very comforting. Thank you very much. I feel like that day I've done my job. And so for the following seven to 10 days, it was just me running an operation where I, you know, would wake up early, you know, cook one or two things, post it on Instagram and just pray and hope that someone would come and, you know, make the purchase so that one, I could just, you know, don't waste any food and just to be able to just keep myself busy. And then I thought maybe I'm going to try to bring back one person, one staff member that, that, that really needs the hours and see. And if I, you know, I calculated like if, if, you know, if it's a loss, at least, you know, this is a loss that I can, I can, I can take. And at least I'll know whether or not, you know, it's, it's a good idea. I brought back one of our staff members and that person worked with me for, for about a week. And then I think at the end of the second week, Sam from Golden Diner reached out and he had actually called in and wanted to place an order for family meal. And so I took the order and then towards the end of the order, he introduced himself and he was like, Hey, look, you know, you know I'm, I'm in the neighborhood. I just want to let you know we're on the single, if there's anything that you need at all, please let me know. I, I'm, I'm here to help. And he was so incredibly sweet and kind. And he asked if we, we were, were doing delivery and I told him no, but I, I'd be more than happy to find a way to make this happen. So I didn't tell him because I didn't want him to think that he was being in, in like an inconvenience to me. So I personally made the delivery. We sat and we chatted for a little bit and he's like, you know, we've been, you know, we, we're going to be doing a pilot with a nonprofit organization. You know, we'll, we'll pass on your information and see if it's something that you're interested in. We don't know, you know, what's going to come of it, but you can, you should definitely consider it. It was very kind of him to open up, you know, his, his kitchen, his, his, his resources and just lending a help. And both um, him and his girlfriend, Helen, were, would, would check up on me on a, on a regular basis. And through them, I met Lynn at Copitium, who was equally kind and would, who would equally, you know, open up, you know, her resources and tell, tell me like, hey, you know, if you're looking for this, you should go here. You know, they're still open. You know, they'll be, be more than happy to provide the things that you need. And then I just, you know, just just was so incredibly overwhelmed with the support of the community that I never knew existed because I was so busy just being so depressed in my own little circle, you know, just thinking that everyone was kind of off doing their own thing. But through them, we from that day, I actually came back and I was you know, up, you know updating my, my Instagram and then also I found a message from the organization that Sam was talking about and we got into a conversation and essentially what they do is they provide us with, with a budget to provide meals to frontline workers and essentially back, you know, the whole, the whole idea is for us to rehire staff with a, with majority of, you know, the budget going to payroll and then the rest going to the meals that we were cooking for the hospital workers. We started that operation and I think about a week after that, we're approached by two others. And within two weeks of onboarding with them and, and, and creating that partnership, I was able to rehire back, I'd say, 
50% of my team. And, you know, we started expanding our menu from one item to three to five items, all the, you know, all the while providing two to 300, you know, meals to the frontline workers a day. And then I think very quickly we became a community kitchen. We're just cooking a whole lot of meals, both, you know, through these partnerships, as well as through, you know, private donations of our own and, and through the community. And it just really was an incredible morale booster for both myself as well as my staff. I think it gave us a different sense of purpose or just like a renewed sense of purpose where it's like, oh, wow, you know, we're, we're going through these difficult times, but knowing that we can come into work, you know, having a job and being able to, you know, get hours, but also be of service to the community was incredibly rewarding. And although the, there was like a sense of like depression and sadness, I think in all of us, just because of the unknowns and not knowing if we have stability or not, but just being able to be together every day um, and cooking with a purpose, I think really helped. And then from there is just the constant support and the checking in from, from people like Sam and and um, Moonlin and then Wilson over at Namwa and just everyone. I think the community really came together just to check up on each other and just make sure that, you know, to remind ourselves that we we all have an outlet and we're here, you know, to support each other. We're here to weather the storm and and we're here, you know, just to vent if we if you know we ever had like a day where we weren't feeling hundred percent. I mean, things still aren't okay and still aren't normal. And I think we're going through our individual struggles, both professionally and personally. But knowing that we now have this community and this newfound family to just carry us through has been incredibly encouraging. And I think uh, I, for one, know that waking up, knowing that I can just, you know, like the support is just a phone call or a couple steps away has been incredibly um, comforting and uplifting to me. And it definitely keeps me going. Thanks, Helen, for being on the show uh, a second time and allowing me to um, update your story with everybody. But if you aren't in the know, Saigon Social is an amazing restaurant. Definitely one of those restaurants. Uh, and Helen had alluded earlier to joining this community of new wave of Vietnamese, modern Vietnamese restaurants. Um, hers is definitely in, in, in them. And we've had the privilege of recording and interviewing everybody. So I would say like Helen from Saigon Social, uh, Dennis, who was a few episodes before from Diandi, um, Jimmy Lai, Jimmy from the first season with Madame Vo, and of course, uh, Yen with Wanda. So it was really awesome to to have the chance to and the opportunity to interview you um and they are open for outdoor dining again uh i feel like this should be another episode in itself about my two cents on outdoor dining but if you feel safe comfortable with that and uh with with outdoor dining i I highly encourage you if you're in that neighborhood or even if you're not to venture out and, and give saigon social a try Uh, This has been Arnold and Helen with Warm Welcome, and uh, we'll see you next week.